I'd like to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to go through uh, the entire chapter of 9 today. And if you want to help remember the chapter, ninth chapter of John, you turn the number 9 sideways and it becomes an eye patch. And the entire chapter is about the man that was born blind. And today in our, uh, we have this week and next week, and then we'll wrap up our series on the encounters with Christ. We'll be examining the man that was born blind and his encounter with the Lord. Before we turn to our passage, I want to share with you that when a doctor goes to medical school, he or she must study an awful lot to prepare for graduation from that school. And after graduation, the doctor will take all that he or she has learned and begin to put it into practice in his or her new life in medicine. Imagine if a doctor were to graduate from medical school after all those years and say, well, I'm only going to use the information that I had to graduate. I won't need it anymore. I won't use any of that information anymore. I won't be putting it into practice. That would be silly, wouldn't it? Well, so too, as we, uh, as Christians, we examine the gospel message that gets us saved. It would be just as silly for us to say, well, the gospel just got me saved and now I'm going to leave it behind. I'm not going to put it into practice. God intends for all of his children to put the gospel into practice every single day. It is not just a message that that justifies us here, but it's also a message that, that sanctifies us. It's a message that we must hear regularly and routinely. Some say we must preach it to ourselves. The gospel is the springboard for Christian living. It is the starting blocks for holy life. We need the gospel message. Believers today must resist the temptation to think, I don't need the gospel anymore because I'm already saved. The good news is the power of God for salvation, the message of Christ dying for sinners to save people. That's the message. And the same message that brings about salvation is just as powerful for you and I to bring about our sanctification. Just to give you some numbers here, the word gospel appears how many times do you think in the New Testament? Over 20, over 40, over 50. The word gospel appears 90 times in the New Testament, countless times. On top of that, the writers will explain the gospel or mention the gospel in some way or another. And notice the the number one book that has the gospel used the most is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. The second most often time we see this word is in the book of uh, Galatians and Romans. These were all letters that Paul was writing about the gospel to the churches, to believers. Why? Why would the Holy Spirit insist that believers and churches must hear about the gospel so often and so frequently that we see it so much in Paul's letters to the churches? It's because we need it for daily living to serve Christ. That just as we rely on Christ for salvation, we must rely on him each and every day to go about our lives. And today we will examine the beauty of the gospel as seen through the eyes of a blind man. That's right. It's an absolutely miraculous story. And what we'll also see is that when Jesus heals someone, he oftentimes will use that as a a launch pad to begin to teach a very important principle, a, a spiritual principle. And today is no exception because he will use the healing of the blind man to teach a very important spiritual principle. This healing uh, of the blind man's story is no exception for this teaching. 
The miracle will tell two stories simultaneously as they go along through this passage. And what we'll read about is the healing of a blind man physically, but he also gets saved. And we'll see, more importantly, the healing of a blind man who was spiritually blind. Jesus uses this miracle to explain the gospel and how it works. So now let's turn to John chapter 9, verse 1. And prepare to have your mind blown today from the Word of God. In the Gospels, Jesus uh, is recorded has healed eight blind people. And this is just one. He would have healed many more than that. The scriptures tell us in John that he did many more miracles than these, but if they were written down, the, the libraries of the world couldn't contain all those books. But John records seven miracles total, one of which is the blind man, but all the gospel writers record at least eight of the blind. John 9, 1 says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. Now you should circle from birth. This is telling us the beginning of this man's blindness. And what's happening here in John is he's trying to root out anyone who may try to criticize the scriptures or, or try to discount it and say, well, maybe the, the man wasn't blind from birth. Maybe he just looked at the sun for a moment. He had temporary blindness. Because there are people then and today who try to explain away the miracles of Christ to discredit Christ. But John is making it very clear the beginning of this man's blindness was from his birth. He was born unable to see. His physical eyes did not work. And verse 2 tells us his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? How would a baby in the womb sin against the Lord to be born blind? This is terrible theology. But it was the theology of the day, and some people hold this theology today as well. It's the theology of when you see someone, a bad thing happen to a person, you think, well, they must have done something bad. Sometimes there are natural sin uh, consequences to our sin, but Job teaches us that you can also have bad things happen to you for doing good. Jesus Christ, who was the perfect Son of God, had no sin, and He was crucified. Bad things happen to good folks and bad folks. But Jesus is going to rebuke the, the disciples here in verse 3 because of their poor theology and thinking. Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but, and now we're going to have the, the veil of heaven pulled back for just a moment. Because how many times have you wondered when a situations happen in your life and you've wondered why God is this happening? Why did that person die or why is this illness happening and I can't just break free from it? Why is this relationship dissolving or the finances are going all away and we're in so much trouble? Why, Lord, is this trouble happening? And now we're going to see why the man was born blind. We don't always know why disabilities and discomfort and unfortunate circumstances happen to people. But in this particular case... The Lord gives us the reason. Look at the text. He says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The works of God bring about the glory of God. And here we see in our text that this man was born blind so that God would be glorified in his life. Friends, you've heard me say it before because the text says it often. But everything the Father is doing in your life and my life at any given time, he's doing for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. 
And in the darkest hours of your days and my days, the Lord is about to do something magnificent to bring glory to himself. That healing that you're praying for, it may not happen in this life. But one day, if you're a believer, you will stand before the Lord and you will be healed. And Christ will receive all the glory, both for your salvation and for your healing. Everything the Lord does is to display his glory and his power. This word here, it says that the works of God might be displayed in his life. This would mean that he would be a walking billboard of the power of Christ. He would be a walking testimony without even saying a word. People will say, how did that man who was blind now see? And the answer will be pointing back to the power of Jesus. And not just the power of Jesus, but think about this. What else can we learn about our Savior here? He is loving. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is a gift giver to people who don't deserve gifts. That means he is full of grace. The Lord's power is on display here. And he, he can, Jesus can pull out this blind man and heal him. And how can Jesus heal a blind man? How can Jesus have the power to heal a blind man? He has the power to heal a blind man because Jesus is God. And the enemy has been working so hard in our world and throughout the history of the world to convince people that Jesus is not God. But his power is displayed here all throughout Scripture to show that Jesus is God in the flesh. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Just as this man is physically blind since birth, so too, friends, every one of us is spiritually blind. The moment we come out of the womb, whether we can see physically or not, we are all spiritually blind to the truth of the gospel. We are all destined for hell. And unless the the Lord awakens us, unless the Lord gives us physical, a spiritual sight as he did this man with his physical sight, we will never gain our sight to see the truth. Let me read for you from 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. What does the Word of God say about spiritual blindness? Well, we're about to read it. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This would be the devil himself. The devil himself has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That means when you look Jesus in the eye, You're looking God in the eye. Jesus is God. For what uh, we proclaim is not ourselves, Paul writes, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That means that just as Jesus only can give sight to the blind man. Jesus only can give sight to those who are spiritually blind. If you have sight today, if you believe this glorious gospel, if you are saved, it is because Jesus took away the veil. And he gave you sight to believe this glorious gospel. And we should praise him every day of our lives. Our lives should be a reflection of the gratitude we have of the Savior that that gave us sight. That we would see the gospel and believe. Because friends, there are many people Maybe people in this room today are watching online who don't have that sight. Many people in your families and my families and friends and people that you're close to, co-workers who are spiritually blind. They were born spiritually blind and they're living spiritually blind. And you can't argue a person to have sight. I've never seen a person go to a blind man or woman and argue with them until they have sight. It doesn't happen that way. You can't debate a blind man to sight. 
But you can pray a blind man to sight. Only the Lord has the power to give sight to the blind physically and spiritually. You shouldn't be discouraged when there's people in your life who are spiritually blind. We are called to lovingly share the gospel with them and pray, pray, pray that the Lord will awaken them. And that he will remove the blinders just like he did for us. Next we see verse 4. Jesus will speak about the time that he has left to do the work of the Father. Verse 4, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light that illuminates the darkness. Jesus is the one who moves people from spiritual darkness to spiritual seeing and understanding the truth. And what Jesus is ultimately talking about here. And he's not just talking about himself. He's not just talking to the disciples. He's talking to you today, friends. And his message is simple. Time is of the essence. That the time Jesus has was limited on earth. And the time that the disciples had to do their ministry on earth was limited. And so too, the time that you and I have as a church family is limited to do the work that God has called us to do. We need to revitalize our time. We need a revival All of us, me included, let us start with me. Lord, revive me in my area of how I spend my time. That I would use my time wisely for the sake of your work, Father, and for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is on a mission from God to accomplish the work of the Father. The disciples' time is limited and our time is limited. That's his point. And every tick-tock of the clock is one less second we have to spend to serve the Lord. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Verse 6 tells us this. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. This had to be pretty amazing to watch. What is Jesus doing? He spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. And he then anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. What a bizarre scene. I would have loved just to watch the disciples' face as this was taking place. This was very bizarre, but there's several observations we can make here. First of all, we need to praise God the blind man was healed. Amen? Amen. The blind man was healed. He will later become our brother in the faith. We will see him again in heaven. The power of Christ was on display for everyone to witness. And here's a couple observations. First, this miracle is a wonderful demonstration again of Jesus' love, compassion, and grace. This man did not make the request to Jesus. That's another observation. He wasn't praying to Jesus to have this blessing, and Jesus gave it to him anyway. In fact, he didn't even go to Jesus. Jesus went to him. And in this area of the temple, there would have been other beggars with other disabilities, but Jesus doesn't heal anybody else. He just goes to this man, and he he chooses him out of the lineup and says, I'm going to heal you today. And he does it. And I wonder, friends, how many times the Lord provides a blessing in your life and my life that we don't ask for every day that we live and how often do we thank him for those blessings do we only thank him for the things we pray for and receive or do we thank him for the things we don't pray for and receive because everything the lord gives you is by his grace and everything he gives you in every area of life is his blessing on you even the breath that is in your lungs How many blessings do we receive? I was evaluating my life saying, Lord, I'm so ungrateful in so many areas. There are so many blessings you have for me every single day, and I don't even thank you for them. I want to be more grateful. 
And I want my life to reflect the gratefulness that I have for you, Lord. As an attitude of obedience and love. The man received the blessing without asking for it. And here we're seeing that all of a sudden, as this man was healed by this blindness, his life is drastically changed. And uh, you see here that if you have a spiritually blind person in your life, all we are to do is share and trust the Lord. As this man is healed by the Lord. And why is it, do you think, that Jesus put mud on his eyes? What is that all about? And another question for you is, when did the miracle actually take place? Was he healed the moment Jesus touched him? Or was he healed the moment the man washed the mud from his eyes? I've read so many different commentaries on this, and they're all over the board. But here, let me tell you what I think. I think the answer is found in what happens at the end of this passage. And if I could say the mud is acting like a glue for just a moment, the glue is the clue. Because the glue is going to hold the man's eyes shut. And some people say, no, the mud made his eyes open. But other commentators say, no, the, the mud was put on the blind man's eyes to keep him from seeing. It wasn't put uh, on, uh, it was to make him blind, is what I'm trying to say. Why would Jesus want the blind man to continue to be blind? Well, it's because he was healed the moment he was touched. And Jesus doesn't want the man to see him right away. Because later he's going to come back at the end of this passage and introduce himself to him. And until Jesus does this, this man doesn't know what Jesus looks like. And people are asking him, where is Jesus? I don't know. How can he know? Because he doesn't know what he looks like. So I believe that the moment Jesus put the mud on the man's eyes, the man was instantly healed. But Jesus didn't want him to see him right away. So he gives him some time delay, which is the amount of time it would take to go wash and come back. And by the time he came back, he's seeing, but he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. That's my thought for what it's worth. Verse 9 tells us, uh, verse 8 tells us this. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were seeing, or saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And friends, this is another picture of the gospel. Because not only are we blind spiritually when we're born, but we're also spiritual beggars. We have nothing to offer God. We're spiritually bankrupt. There's not a service we could provide for God. There's not a good work we could do that he would accept. Because all of our greatest deeds, even the best actions we think we are accomplishing, are like filthy, dirty rags to God. We are all spiritual beggars. And the only one who can make us alive, the only one who can give us sight, the only one who can fill our account with righteousness is Jesus Christ and no one else. The neighbors see that he is, was a beggar. And they're wondering, they're in shock and awe. Verse 9 says, some say, it is he. Others said, no, but it just looks like him. But look what he keeps saying. He keeps saying, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? He's saying, I am the one. I am the one that sat my whole life begging and you've watched me. I'm the one who was born blind. I've never been able to see until now. And now I can see this is a miracle. And he is a walking billboard testifying to the work and power of Jesus Christ. Well, who do you think would want to shut down anyone who's testifying about the work and power of Jesus Christ? None other than the devil himself. And the devil is going to use the Pharisees to shut Jesus, or shut this man down. Look what we see next. So they said to him, how is it that your eyes were opened? And he answered, you should circle this. This is very significant. He answered, the man called Jesus. You should circle the man. Because right now this man is being introduced to Jesus and he only knows him as the man. 
But there's going to be a tremendous progression in his faith as we're about to see as he learns more about Jesus. And then when he's confronted face-to-face with Jesus, he no longer calls him the man. He calls him something else, which we'll get to. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to save it for the end. Keep you in suspense. So right now, just in this progression of faith, and maybe, maybe some of you are here today, you're not a believer. You're spiritually blind, and you would refer to Jesus as a man. Maybe he was a good teacher or philosopher, but that's where you are in your faith. You just think he's a man. But now we see here that Jesus, uh, he's going to tell them how Jesus did this. Are you ready? They're wanting to know what was the formula for the miracle? What medicine did the doctor use? What hospital did you visit? How, how did this happen? And I can imagine them taking out their pencil and paper to write this down. And here's what he says. Jesus made mud. He anointed my eyes and he said, go to the Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they're probably thinking, that's it? No, 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 seriously, how did this happen? How did you receive your sight? It's an absolute miracle. And the the Pharisees are going to reject this. They're going to reject any miracle that Jesus does. So verse 12 says, they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. How can he know? Because he had mud on his eyes and couldn't see him. He had to go wash the mud away first before he could look around and discover he could see. So they, these would be the witnesses, they brought him to the Pharisees. The man, and you've got to love this verse. Look what the text says. The man who what? Had formerly been blind. They're talking about the man's past life. Friends, the moment you, you get saved... The moment your eyes are open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have a new life. You are a new creation. And everything that happened prior to that event is what you used to be but no longer are. You would be the man or woman who was formerly fill in the blank. But you're not that person anymore because you are alive and you can see the truth. Don't you love here that they say he's the, the Holy Spirit tells us he's the man who was formerly blind. In John 11, when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, when he's raised from the dead, the scripture tells us the man who was previously dead was walking. And so too shall it be for all who believe in Christ, that when we die and are made alive, we will be the man or woman who was previously dead, but was walking because Jesus will raise us from the grave. Amen and amen. Here we see his eyes are open, but verse 14 is going to introduce a problem. Oh my goodness, play the the dark music. Now it was the Sabbath day. And Jesus, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes, the religious people here, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they had compounded man's rules and laws on top of God's rules. And they were very passionate about enforcing their traditions and their customs very passionate about enforcing their own rules. And there were two violations that Jesus did here on the Sabbath that was a no-no in the eyes of the Pharisees. And they're mentioned right here. It was the Sabbath day when he made the mud and opened his eyes. So to spit in your hand with dirt and move around mud would be a violation of the Sabbath. Therefore, you must not be from God. And then Jesus, on the other hand, he healed a man who was born blind. Therefore, he is not of God. Because he broke the rules of the Sabbath, and they are livid. Look what verse 15 says. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received sight. And I love this. His testimony gets a little shorter. And he says, look at the text. I I, I want to be friends with this guy. And he said to them, all right, here's here's how it happened, y'all. 
I've already said it once. I'm going to say it again. Everybody lean in and listen carefully. I'm imagining this scene. This is my conjecture. But he says, he put mud on my eyes. And I washed. And I see. (laughs) That's how it happened. And you know what? His testimony is so simple. And it shows me how simple the gospel message can be as well. You don't need a seminary degree to tell people the gospel message. The gospel message in its simplest form is this. Are you ready? Jesus died for sins. He rose from the dead. That's the gospel message. Jesus died for your sins and my sins. He rose from the dead. And if that's all you tell people the gospel message, then tell them with all your heart. And pray that the Lord will use that message. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says the thing that he said of first importance is that Christ died for sinners and he rose the third day and he appeared to the disciples. The gospel is so simple and it's so easy for us to make it complex, isn't it? Verse 16 is this. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Of course they did. For he does not keep the Sabbath They're attacking Jesus because the devil knows if he can discredit the messenger, he can discredit the message. And that's been his aim all throughout Scripture. Jesus broke the man-made rules of the, the Pharisees, but he didn't break any rules of God. He is still without sin. He healed a man. And prior to this man being healed, he never would have been able to come into the temple area to worship. That's why he would sit outside the gate, just like the paralytic in John chapter 5. He would sit outside the gate, and now this man is coming into the temple for the first time in his life where he's able to worship God, and the Pharisees aren't rejoicing. They're not celebrating that this man has been able to see. They're not celebrating, come in, brother, now you can worship with us. Instead, they're criticizing this man and tearing him down because Jesus healed him. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And notice the progression now. He no longer refers to Jesus as the man. What does he say? He says he was a prophet. Because this man believes there's something different about Jesus. He was touched by him. He was changed by him. He saw his power on display in his own life and his faith is growing. He knows he's not just a man, but he's someone who's sent from God because only someone sent from God can do such a thing. The Pharisees want so badly to discredit this miracle and to discredit this man. Jesus has already called the Pharisees in the previous chapter the children of the devil. And he says, you want to do your father's will when he was a liar from the beginning. These men are under the influence of the enemy here to discredit Jesus and his work. Verse 18 tells us this. The Jews did not believe that he had been uh, blind and received his sight. That's, they're in disbelief. This can't possibly happen. Until they called his par- the parents of the man who had received sight, and they asked him, Is this your son who, who was, you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Notice the answer of the parents here. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Why would the parents act that way? Verse 22 tells us. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. The parents threw the son under the bus. They're not even rejoicing because their son born blind can now see. They're backing up from the situation. And and to be put out of the synagogue, you could circle that because that is a, a real figure of speech in this time that would excommunicate someone from society. Cancel culture is not new. Cancel culture was happening here. And to be put out of the synagogue was a term used where the the leaders would say, this person is now canceled. And if it was a member of your family, you could have no communication with them whatsoever. You can't give them any financial support. You must kick them out of your house. They can't buy or sell anything. They wouldn't be allowed in Target without a certain permit or Walmart to put it in our terms. Imagine not being able to buy or sell or communicate with your family. It's a big deal to be kicked out of the synagogue. And Jesus said in John 16, 2 to the disciples, he said, they will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Here these people want to kick out the parents or anyone who professed Christ. They want to kick them out of the synagogue. They want, to, they want to kill them because they think they're serving God, but they're really not. They're working against God by opposing Christ. They don't want to give Jesus the credit in any way, shape, or form. Verse 24 tells us this. And for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. He he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. And now he's about to give the most amazing testimony I've ever heard in the Bible. Here it is. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Isn't that amazing? And there may be some of you who have a testimony like this where you were living drastically one way. You were going down a road that, you, that was going to end in death. That could involve drugs and alcohol, whatever it could have included. But you, you accepted Christ and your life was drastically transformed. Or maybe you're living down that road now and what you need is Jesus. To let him drastically transform your life. And some of you might say, well, I came to Christ early in life. I don't have that kind of testimony. Then what you have is a preventative testimony where you came to Jesus early in life and he protected you from those decisions and those dark roads. This man has an amazing testimony. I once was blind and now I see, but all of us who are saved could say we were spiritually blind and now we can spiritually see. What a fantastic testimony. Verse 26, he said, he said to them, why did he, uh, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Are you kidding me? They're asking him the same question again. This is laughable. And look what he says in verse 27. Uh, he's he's, he's kind of getting frustrated here. You can hear it in his words. Verse 27, the blind man who can now see says, I have told you already. And you would not listen. That's the problem. These men have a false narrative and they're pumping false news to the people. They, they're presented with truth, but they want to refuse the truth. They don't want the truth. They just want the news to match their narrative, and this man will not go along with their lies. He's presenting truth. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? I can hear the sarcasm there. And they reviled him. Of course they did. They're against Christ and his work and any proclamation of Jesus being the Christ. And then they say, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. It's about to get good right, good right here, verse 30. Then the man responds, and I wish I could just be there and tell the man, keep on responding, keep on responding. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And what he's saying here is that you are the religious leaders. This man is from God. How could you not know about him? How could you not know about him, Pharisees? This prophet has come to our town, and yet you don't know where he came from? He is rebuking them. And they are receiving this as a rebuke, and they do not like it one bit. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This man is now an apologist. He is defending his faith to the Pharisees. This man has better theology than the Pharisees have, and here he is, a new believer. Never since the world began, verse 32, has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. Never. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The very fact that Jesus performed this miracle validates who he is. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh, and they will not acknowledge it. Verse 34, they answered, you were born in utter sin. They're saying this because he was born blind. They have terrible theology. And you would teach us, and look what they do. They do the unthinkable. They hit the nuclear button and they cast them out. And that term means he was excommunicated from society. But the reality was, because of his disability, he was already excommunicated from society. But what he has gained is more than anything else he could gain in his life. It's physical and spiritual sight. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, now Jesus has gone to look for him. And look what Jesus says. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Why would Jesus use the term the Son of Man? This is a term that Jesus loves to refer to himself more than any other term. This is a messianic term we see from the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah will call, be called the Son of Man. So what Jesus is saying here, and the man is totally understanding and receiving it, the man, Jesus is saying, do you believe in the Messiah? And then he says in verse 36, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him to put all my weight and trust in him, put all my faith and Jesus answered him, you have seen him. The blind man has seen the Messiah. How can that be? Because the Messiah opened the eyes of the blind man that he would be seen. Isn't it amazing? This whole story is a picture of the gospel message. He says, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And look what the man does next, verse 38. This is the appropriate response when you want to honor Christ. He said, Lord, I believe. He's just gone from calling him a man named Jesus to a prophet, and now he is the Lord. The Lord God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This man has been given faith. His spiritual blinders have been removed, and he believes the gospel. He is saved. And look at his response, and he worshiped him. This doesn't mean that he began singing, although singing is a form of worship. This man fell down to the ground in a prostate form, prostrate form, and he lowered his head. And I have a picture here of what it looks like. We have a little graphic on the screen. Here's a verse someone made. It says, may all the kings fall down before him and all the nations serve him. To lay down in this posture is how this man would have laid down according to the Greek word that's used. Why is this significant? And why is the word worship used? You can keep this picture up for just a moment. When a person were to go into royalty 
into a palace and they kneel down before a king or queen. This is how they would do it. And when a person does that to another individual, what they're saying is, is they're making themselves vulnerable. And they're saying, I am bowed before you. My hands are open. My head is down. You can do whatever you want to me. And I can't protect or defend myself. I am yours. And as an act of worship, when we worship the Lord more than the the posture of our body is the attitude of our heart. That in our heart, we would have this posture that we would say, Lord, I am yours. Whatever you want to do to me, however I may live for you, let me worship you in all that I have. Whether I live today or die today, I am yours. It is yours decision and your decision alone. Whether I have that disease or I'm healed from that disease, whatever I'm going through, let it be for your glory because I am your servant. Friends, do you worship the Lord throughout your day in this posture in your heart and mind? Are you able to yield to him all throughout the day and say, Lord, I want to I bow down before you, whether you do it physically or mentally, and submit daily to the word of God. That's what this man does. He bows down, he lowers his head, he holds his hands out, and he worships Jesus Christ and says, I am yours. Thank you for that picture. Verse 39 tells us this. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who would not see may see. Jesus came to make the spiritually blind able to see. Jesus gives sight to the blind and spiritual life to the spiritually dead. And Ephesians chapter 2 says all of us are spiritually dead until the Lord makes us alive. And then he says, and those who may become, see may become blind. First he talks about the non-believers who he makes say by giving them sight. But then the reference here to those who may see may become blind is a reference to religious people. The religious leaders who think they're saved by their good works, but they're not saved. They think they can see, but they're spiritually blind. Some Pharisees, they get the message. They understand what he's saying. Verse 40, and then we're going to wrap up with a a few points to think about and close in prayer. Verse 40 says this. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, Jesus is saying you're absolutely blind. You think that your works can save you and all this pious action will save you, but you will not be saved. That you will only be saved if the Son of God removes the veil to give you sight. And that has not happened for them yet or at all in this point in their life. Jesus is obviously the one and only one who can remove the blinders. And Jesus is in the eye-opening business. How many of you are having your eyes open right now? How many of you came in here today not knowing much about Christ and you thought, oh, he's just a man. But somehow through this message, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart to convince you the truth that Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He is the Savior of all mankind and that we should humbly bow before him each and every day and throughout our day and submit to his lordship. Points to ponder. We'll wrap up with this. This is just a couple minutes of closing. How how should we take this passage into our lives? How should this impact us today and each and every day? Number one is this, that the man's disability was for God's glory. We've made this point, but I just want to remind you that the Lord is always working for his glory in your life. And a prayer that we should always pray during difficult times or for good times is to say, Lord, would you be glorified in this? Would you glorify yourself in this situation? I know you're working all things for your glory, and I just want to be a part of it. Let our church be a part of it. If revival breaks out in in your lives, I want to be a part of that. If revival breaks out in our church, don't you want to be a part of that? 
If revival breaks out in Raleigh and in North Carolina and the East Coast and America, I want to be a part of that. And I want us to be a part of that. Lord, we know you use all things for your glory. Number two is this. That time is of the essence, friends. TikTok, and I don't mean the social media platform, but the clock is ticking. Jesus has given us all a short amount of time on earth. Our days are drawing to an end. And some of our days and the people in this room will end sooner. But we've all been given different amounts of time to use for the Father's glory. How are you using your time? Are you and I, are we using our time wisely to serve the Lord? Or is the world distracting us with things that are insignificant and invaluable, have no value? Now, we have a, we're going to include in our new church, uh, uh, our email that goes out. I can't think of the name of it, the weekly email. See how hard that was to say? <laughs> On Tuesday, Thursdays, an opportunity to serve. Because we have an awful lot of new folks in our church the past several months who've asked me, how can I get plugged in? In your bulletin, there'll also be a service opportunity of the week. And this week, we're featuring uh, the tech crew that sits back here, Austin and Sam, our faithful crew, who run the slides and the sound. If they weren't working back there, we'd have no slides, and this is what I'd sound like. You wouldn't hear a word. So we're so thankful for all their work, but they need extra hands and feet. And I hope you'll pay attention to our emails and our bulletins, and when you see a service opportunity that really turns your crank, I hope you'll follow up with that person and get involved. Let's serve the Lord together here at Christ Baptist Church. If you're called here, let's roll up our sleeves and be a a part of kingdom work. Let's go after souls and life transformation through the power of the gospel that is so simple to say, Jesus died for sins and he rose again and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Third and final point to ponder is this, we'll wrap up, is how is your spiritual eyesight? Do you have the eyes to see the truth or do you deny the power of the gospel? If you believe the gospel message that Christ is who he says he is, if you believe the message that Christ died for your sins and salvation is only found in him, then the Lord has given you sight and praise be to God for your salvation because no one else receives that glory or should except for him. But if you're here today and you deny the gospel, if you say the gospel is foolishness to you, then you are blind spiritually and you're denying the truth. And my hope and prayer for you is that the Lord will give you the sight, even as we're talking now, to believe that he is who he is, says he is, that you would receive salvation. I hope you'll join us Thursday night at 630 here. It's going to be a very special night as we humbly seek the Lord for revival. And that will start in my heart and your heart. That we would be humble and gentle with one another. That we would forgive one another. And that we would be the gospel community that the Lord calls us to where we love one another. And Jesus said in John 13, 3, people will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And Proverbs 133, I believe it's 133, says how blessed it is when brothers dwell in unity. And that's what we're going to pray for Thursday night. I hope you'll come back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this amazing miracle of this man who was born blind, who received his sight. Thank you also how Jesus shows us, this is a picture of those who also receive spiritual sight, that both are the power of Christ, that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot remove our own blinders, and only the work of Christ can do that in our life. We ask, Father, that your spirit would move throughout our congregation and those watching online to awaken those who don't believe, that they would be saved. 
And we pray for great revival in each of our hearts, starting with mine in my own household and my family. And Father, let us reawaken ourselves and recommit ourselves and increase our passion and zeal to live for Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.